0: Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Sandy, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics. Uh, I'm joined by my two colleagues, Ryan Sweet, uh, Ryan's Director of Real-Time Economics, and Chris Deridi. Chris is the Deputy Chief Economist. Hi, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. How are you, Mark? Good. I'm, all, I'm good. This, uh, this podcast is one of our special podcasts. We did one, I guess, a week or two ago on inflation, the history of inflation, and we we did that for the uh, Thanksgiving week, and I got rave reviews for that. Yeah, from, did you hear? A lot of people love that podcast mm-hmm. around inf- the history of inflation. Um, yeah, same here. Uh, people yeah. reaching out on LinkedIn and really interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. <laughs> so we we need to uh, digest that and you know continue on with that. And that, that's what we're going to do here: a similar kind of podcast for the. This is for Christmas week. Uh, because we're not going to tape live. So we're not going to do any statistics in this podcast. We're just going to focus on the topic at hand. And what we decided to do, I think it's apropos, given it's the last week of the year, is to consider 2022, uh, the, uh, we'll provide a little bit of context, what we think the most likely scenario is for the economy, the kind of the baseline economic outlook in the middle of the distribution of possible outcomes. Then we're going to really focus on the risks and... Downside, maybe upside, but we'll, we'll see where people's minds are on this one. Uh, but that's the plan here for this uh, particular podcast. So, <clears throat> who wants to lay out the baseline case? You know, what's the most likely scenario? Chris, you, you want to do that? Or Ryan, who, who you want me to do it? Who wants to do that? Anybody? You should do it. I should? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you just Why do the forecast. You, you just did the forecast. <laughs> yeah. It's all fresh in your mind. <laughs> did I just do the forecast? When? What are you talking about? Oh, this weekend, this past weekend. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess I did. Yeah. Yeah, but, you, you might know, tweak it. I, I oh, the caveat on, is... Yeah, has the forecast changed is mm-hmm. the question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this. I shouldn't be laughing. It's so depressing. Uh,
1: this, and we are recording this. I guess we should disclose. This is prior to the uh, Jobs Friday. So this is before mm. November's report is coming out. So...
0: Yeah, and also because this is going to air in a couple of weeks, maybe now three weeks, what we know about Omicron will be hopefully well well advanced compared to what we know today, which isn't very much, actually. So, All right, here's the baseline as we know it. Uh, Just quickly, a couple of numbers. GDP growth, calendar year 2021, that was going to be coming up about 5.5%. For 2022, we're expecting four to four and a half percent. So another solid year. So that means a lot of jobs. Uh, we're going to average monthly job growth between now and the end of next year, probably close to 500,000 per month, you know, maybe a little less than that because unemployment's going to come in pretty fast. The unemployment rate is four, six, and I would expect the unemployment rate to be well, below four, maybe closing in on three and a half percent, which would be kind of consistent with full employment by the end of the next year going into 2023. Uh, uh, inflation, uh, consumer price inflation right now, obviously very high, uh, over six percent year over year. I expect it to be about half that by uh, the end of 2022. Of course, <clears throat> the Fed's target would be something around two and a half percent. The Fed will be my uh, will be. Uh, normalizing monetary policy, so they'll end their taper sometime next spring, early summer. Begin raising short rates soon, there, short-term rates soon thereafter. Probably two, three rate hikes next year. I think we have two in the forecast. We might have to put three in, depending on how things go here. Uh, and for the Fed to normalize short-term rates by mid-decade, that would be around a two and a half percent funds federal funds rate target. Ten-year Treasury yield, uh, our favorite uh forecasted debate uh right now we're sitting at 1.5 percent uh down because of this om- omicron uh, scare uh and we expect it to end of the year about one and three quarters uh, well the end of the year is in a few weeks from now so i don't know if that's going to happen given what what's going on with the virus but see chris that's an admission uh, well gee whiz. okay <laughs> uh, and then uh I'd say by this time next year, you know, at least two and a quarter, you know, maybe a little bit north of that. So that's kind of the numbers. And the idea is that or the kind of the basis for that is that, well, here's the key. Here's the key assumption, the pandemic. Uh, We are assuming or I'm assuming we are assuming that the pandemic will more or less continue to wind down. That doesn't mean there won't be more waves of the of the virus. There will be. Uh, Omicron is, uh, is, I keep saying it's Om, Omicron, right? Omicron? Omicron. Omicron. Omicron, Omicron. sorry. Omicron uh, will, uh, you know, it seems like that's gonna be a wave <clears throat> that we're gonna have to deal with. Not that there won't be future waves, that would be Pollyannish to think not, but that each wave that we suffer we' we'll have will do less damage to the healthcare system uh into the economy than the previous wave that you know vaccinations continue to improve boosters antiviral drugs other mitigation efforts limit the uh the impact and that we adjust uh economically you know supply chains you know we've kind of figure out where the worst bottlenecks are we kind of work on those, fix those or at least navigate around them more gracefully labor markets kind of repair themselves. You know, we're just better at, we don't have to shut down, you know, we're just better at navigating through. That's a key assumption. Uh, also assuming we're going to get another fiscal package through Congress and the administration here, we'll, we'll probably know that also by the time this airs. You know, we're assuming $1.75 trillion in additional support. Uh, that's the package that's before Congress now that on increased social spending and tax credits on, so, on social programs. That's roughly paid for with the tax increases mostly on businesses. So that's the other key assumption that, uh, you know, goes into the forecast. Um, A lot of growth from consumers. There's a lot of pent-up demand still, and there's a lot of excess savings, so that should help support things. And if the pandemic does wind down to script, that means supply chain should iron out and we should see some inventory rebuilding. Uh, So, you know, you kind of add it all up. It makes for a, I'd say, you know, a a good year, Uh, 2022, we're looking for a- relatively good year. We'll be back to full employment, you know, if not by the end of the year, certainly by early 2023. And we can debate what that means, but, you know, roughly speaking. So I'd say that's a pretty, how would you characterize that? i characterize that as a pretty pretty optimistic forecast. What do you say? Optimistic, but realistic. You Okay. All right. So you feel pretty good uh, about that forecast right now, sitting here today, even with the... Uh, o- o- Jeez, Omicron, 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 Omicron. I got to get that in my mind. Omicron uh, variant. You still feel feel variant. You feel pretty good about this. Yeah.
2: Okay. I mean, the end of the year might not, end of this year may not end on a great note. Maybe we get off to a slow start next year, but once we get through this wave, we'll be off and running. Yeah.
0: Okay. And Chris?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I think it's a good forecast. I think it's certainly faster than uh, than the average, right? So it's still a very strong year by historical standards.
0: Yeah. And I guess it's the other point to make is we really have not – that's been our forecast for uh, like a, a while, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, really, our forecast yeah. for 2021 and 2022 has been pretty much unchanged since the start of 2021, I think, more or less. You know, maybe took a little steam out of 2021. We were – didn't count on Delta wave right. doing as much damage. Uh, maybe a little stronger for 2022 because we would expect some catch up. But, you know, really, broadly speaking, the, the contours of the forecast have been, I think, largely unchanged for a while here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Anything else about the baseline you want? Yeah, I think we should point out any other numbers, any other aspects of the, the outlook that we should point out to people? No? No, I think you covered it all. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think it's moderation in prices, so inflation, but, and then also some moderation in asset values as well, right? So right. growth in mm. host, house prices and stock prices. It's also baked into the baseline as well. So kind of a glide path towards an equilibrium. So that's, that's a key assumption, I would say.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. So stock prices, uh, 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 housing values, uh, credit spreads in the bond market, uh, you know, asset markets are pretty feel pretty juiced, and we're assuming that as interest rates slowly rise as the Fed takes its foot off the accelerator, that essentially these markets go flat for a while and let everything catch up. Corporate earnings catch up mm-hmm. with stock prices, incomes and rents catch up with housing values. Um, but we don't see any, there might be a correction, but it's not going to last very, in stock the stock market, but it's not going to last very long. And there might be some price declines in some of the really juiced up markets, you know, like a Boise or a Phoenix where prices have risen by a third over the past year. We might see some price declines as, you know, work from anywhere kind of unwinds a little bit here. Um, Yeah, okay, that's a really good point. So do you want to know where we are relative to consensus? Yeah, yeah, where are we relative to
2: consensus? 2022, uh, the consensus is 3.9% for GDP growth.
0: Oh, okay. So we're, we're about half a point above that, probably. Correct. Yeah. Um, any other consensus? What about inflation? What's the inflation, inflation consensus? Do you know? Three point seven on the headline CPI. Three seven. That would be pretty consistent, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we were at six, and I said it's going to be at three by the end of the year. Yeah. So. Yeah, maybe maybe we're a little on the high side relative
2: to consensus. Unemployment rate four percent. Average monthly job growth? Three hundred and fourteen
0: thousand. Okay. Oh. Well that's a little okay. less optimistic. A little less than us. Yeah, a little less optimistic mm-hmm. on jobs. Unemployment it sounds like about the same, maybe a little less optimistic. A little too. less. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So not we're I guess it feels like I guess broadly speaking you'd say we're a little more optimistic on growth than than the, the consensus view, but Really, yeah, pretty, not much more, not yeah. much yeah. more. Yeah. yeah, not materially more. Yeah. Okay, okay, good. All right, okay, so that's the baseline, that's the most likely scenario. Uh, and of course, boatload of risk around all of that. So, uh, I think the way I would like to do this is just might one of us go and identify. I think we should, you know, my let me ask, let me have before we do this, let me ask you the question Are the risks to that baseline symmetric, I'm, meaning? are the downside risks yeah. okay mm-hmm. so what are they yeah downside risk are greater Didn't i don't know if we have that. enough time
2: for this <laughs>
0: <Are> <laughs> really? we're gonna need a long time really why
2: no because I, I can just we can just between the three of us we could probably, probably rattle off
0: five ten key
2: downside risks.
0: oh i see right but you so you're saying the risks are you're you're saying that the downside risks predominate uh, correct. Compared to the upside risk, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. and and the reason being the, the pandemic fundamentally,
2: yeah, and all the downstream effects of the pandemic. So you can go pandemic to supply chains to inflation to Fed policy errors. There's there's lots of downside risk.
1: Okay, and four so or like four like and, a, and a half percent growth you know, under the baseline is already quite optimistic, right? So it can it really get correct. much better than that? Yeah, that's a possibly,
0: ability, but. Mm-hmm. Because we're assuming we get back to full employment, How, uh, if, if there's not you, c- you can't beat that. It's pretty hard to beat that, actually, yeah. right? Yeah, almost by definition, you can't. Beat that, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you could, but that means then you got higher inflation, uh, and exactly. And mm-hmm. overheating an <laughs> so an economy, so oh, that's so a downside. you're <laughs> kind of limited on the upside yeah. here. That's right. Okay, well, think a little longer term. You know, is yeah, there, yeah, So then the risk become more symmetric. Well, I think there there are some upside
2: risks to to next year that we can talk about. Certainly, certainly.
0: Okay, you can
1: come up with a lot more downside. (laughs) No, yeah, exactly. More downsides.
0: Yeah, right. By the way, we have this pretty cool risk what I call risk matrix. That kind because it's so hard to keep in mind, at least in my mind, all the downside risks. And you know, of course, a lot of the folks that we work with they're primarily focused on the downside. They don't really participate on the upside, so they want to know more about the downside. And this matrix shows in the horizontal axis the uh, the uh, expected severity of the of the risk, which I kind of think in my mind is like a kind of a present value of the economic loss if that risk were to come to fruition or that you know, shock would occur. And the vertical axis, the y axis, is the probability of that shock. And you can see all the different mm-hmm. risks that are there. I have that in my mind's eye. Maybe, maybe we can mm-hmm. provide that on the YouTube or something with this video. People might might appreciate that. Um. Okay, so- it's on the Economic View website, too. Oh, is it? Right. Mm-hmm. Is that, do we have yeah. it up there? Not my yeah. version, I bet.
2: Not your uh, version. I was going to say, I was a little nervous about this podcast, because your <laughs> risk matrix differs a little bit from mine. Not a lot, but I think
0: I just have a lot bit. more on there. You know, I spend a lot of time on that matrix. It really helps me think about, you know, uh, you mm-hmm. know uh, w- what these risks are and where they kind of land in terms of, you know, probability of happening and, you know, what would the macro consequences be if they do happen. And we update right. it every month. So it's very helpful to think you know, how these risks are evolving.
2: And it, so you'll see how they move on, on our website. So Chris and I will go back and forth. And recently one, this is not what, I guess it could be you a risk You and for
0: Chris go back and forth? That, so you don't include me in this conversation?
2: You're busy. You're, I don't want to bug you. Is what
0: that what's going on? No. Nah. Oh, all
2: right. So we added cyber attacks recently. Oh, good one. Chris came yeah. up with that one. I thought that was an excellent
0: one. Yeah, I would have caught him up with it if you had invited me. I mean, I definitely. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but you're you're more than welcome. It's just yeah. an email.
2: It's not like you know we're, we're having do. coffee in its office.
0: Yeah, okay. All right. I hear you. I feel like I'm being left out. I'm just saying. No, not at all. Not at okay. all. Okay. Welcome all right. to the party. <laughs> uh, no, don't worry. I'm I'm good with I'm good with you guys doing it, uh, and and I'll go down my own path, and we'll come together every once in a while and see. Because that might not be a bad thing to do anyway. The, I really don't the think previous. they're going to be that different. I don't, I don't think so yeah. either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, since the risks are, are, are indeed for 2022 skewed to the downside, let's begin with that. So, Chris, why don't you go first? What's your downside risk? And, and why don't you lay out for that risk, the you know, kind of your baseline view, and then what the risk is, and you know, how you're thinking about it?
1: Well, I'll give you a meta risk uh, uh, first, uh, yeah, like uh, a conceptual risk. Uh, that I think of, which is just the fear, um, you know, <laughs> nothing to fear about fear itself, right so I, I see uh, and that 's under the broader uh, grouping of psychology, so consumer psychology we could we could uh, talk ourselves into more inflation, we could certainly right, if if that uh, were to take hold, uh, overreact to another wave of the pandemic right so there's there certainly there's a big psychological component I can see here if we did start to see stock market. Uh, corrections or house prices, right? You could have some feedback effects uh, kick in, right? So even though we're calling for mild kind um, of corrections in these uh, in these markets, or at least they're going flat, there could be some overreaction that that takes over. So I see that as a substantial risk uh, to the outlook. So more of that psychological feeling of uh, of the economy going forward. If energy prices were to take off once again, right? You could see that having a life of its own. So that was one kind of my uh, overarching theme. But if you want a more specific, risk, though, that's yeah, a,
0: that's a really cool one. That's a really cool yeah, one. I, I mean, I because I find it perplexing, somewhat perplexing, how just seemingly pessimistic people are. Uh, I mean, if you look at the economy's performance, it's actually been quite impressive. If you if you you know look at the numbers, job growth has been impressive. The decline in unemployment has been impressive. The recovery in, in output in GDP, the value of all the things that we produce, that's been incredibly impressive. Um, uh, you know, inflation's been a bis- bit of a disappointment, but that you know, that's been very recent. And you know, we could t- we're gonna talk about that, I'm sure, in terms of, of the risks. But stock prices are at record highs, housing values are at record highs, debt loads are in terms of debt service, the percent of income going to servicing debt on you know interest and principal payments yeah. on that debt, I think that's at a record low. I mean, very close, very yeah, very close. People have locked in these low rates; they've refinanced and locked in three percent, three and a half percent mortgage rates, and then yet still, uh, people are like, "No, the economy stinks." Right? Am I? Well, you still have a pandemic going on. That's it, but, clearly weighing on people's psychology. And it, people, it,
2: consumers hate inflation. So if you look at the really nitty gritty of the uh, University of Michigan survey, but more people are pessimistic that their incomes are going to exceed inflation over the next, you know, twelve five, or uh, one to three years. So,
1: mm.
2: I mean, that is really biting into people's psychology.
0: Yeah, it's got to be that, right? Mm. It's got to be the pandemic, which I, I wears on you, right? I mean, just gee whiz! It's like, are we ever going to shake this damn thing, right? And then, um, cause it just, it messes with people's lives. You know, they're, you know, uh, we can see that just in our, you know, personal lives, we can see it. And I think you're right. I think inflation, particularly gas prices, I mean, you know, I think gasoline just kills people. I mean, even though, uh, you know, you think about it, like I just filled up my, my car, I needed 10 gallons of gas and, you know, I had a choice to go to Wawa, which is three buck, whatever, 45. I know- Ryan's too high fluting to go to Wawa. No, I was told
2: not Wawa. to go to Wawa because you'd oh, road your engine. Uh, uh.
0: I think I'm being lied to. I think I think you've been
2: absolutely yeah. being duped. Absolutely <laughs> duped.
0: And I, I told down. you and
2: Chris. I think the car dealership and the gas stations are in cahoots.
0: Those are fighting words, uh, Ryan. Oh, boy. I mean, uh, We're going to get some okay. comments hey, now. <laughs> I, I can see it now. The FTC is going to be knocking on your door. What do you know that we don't know, Ryan? Right. Yeah. Okay. I think they're investigating that kind of stuff. Uh, but I, there's a local gas station here in Malvern. This is my hometown. That is very convenient, but it's like, you know, it's not a, it's not a, it's two tanks or three tanks. And they charged me three seventy five, right? So that's 25, let's say, I'm rounding. So that's 25 cent difference. 10, 10 gallons, that's 2 buck 50 You know, in the grand scheme, and I'm not driving that much. So it's not like I'm filling my gas tank once a week. It may be once a month. I don't know. And I go, that kind of was depressing. I had to pay 2 buck 50 more for to fill the gas, which is kind of silly when you think about it, when you kind of think about it. But that goes to the psychological impact of it. And for yeah. low-income households, yeah. that does matter. I, I don't mean to it matters just, a lot. I mean, Absolutely. it a lot. Yeah. and particularly if you're driving a lot, if you're commuting, then that could be, that can really be a problem. But, you know, for me, you know, why would that bother? You know, it shouldn't bother me really, but. You know, to, 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 but it's very visible, right? You see it, uh, it's
1: one of those prices that you are exposed to right early, right? So I think that's why people mm-hmm. experience the shock, right? Or,
0: well, we're going to get a test of that pretty soon, because have you noticed oil prices are back down a lot, right? They peaked at $85 a barrel, I think, on WTI, West Texas Intermediate, not, uh, a couple of months ago. We're down to, I think I was looking today, it's 70, maybe lower than 70. I'm not sure. It's lower than so 70. Is it is 70? Yesterday, when I checked yesterday, it was
2: less than 70.
0: Less 60s, than right? 70. Uh, yeah. So that's was you, 68.
2: Yeah.
0: It should come in, right? I mean, gas prices should start to come in. Yeah, so the way well, according I... to your forecast that's right
1: yeah yeah your forecast well <laughs> we have a bet right On um, one oh, of these have a bet? Uh, um i think on one of
0: the podcasts we have a bet on the oil price i can't right? keep traveling no i know someone uh, hopefully someone is ben ben better be taking you know notes here
2: so for uh, where gas prices are headed yeah. wholesale gas prices lead retail by roughly two weeks and okay. you know i don't have the exact where they the retail price is going because i haven't checked recently but it's pointing down
0: it is, it's pointing mm-hmm. down. Yep. Okay, so we'll
2: get some relief at the pump soon.
0: Okay, we'll see how that, uh, what impact that has on the collective psyche here. Uh, but yeah, that, that's a good one, Chris. Uh, that's a, a meta risk. It's just yeah the psychology of all this. You know, are people just going to get... Have you also noticed people are just kind of, maybe it's just me, but I've noticed people are really, they're, they're just not quite as nice. Have you noticed that? I mean, everyone's a little on... No, slightly nasty. I don't know. No comment. No comment. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's Philadelphia. We, we live around Philadelphia. Yeah. It's got to be. Maybe we have probably.
2: a reputation. Yeah.
0: It's, but it's worse. It's, it's, I'm just imagining things. You're imagining things. Okay. All right. What do you think, Chris?
1: I, I was going to say that the, the concern about fear and psychology also translates into other risks that we'll talk about. I am worried about, say, the election. Right. And I think there's some tribalism uh, going on here as well. So that, that worries me that, you know, we get into the midterms next year and what's that going to look like.
0: Hmm.
1: Is it Mark I, on your, on your risk ma- matrix? Do you have social
0: unrest? I do not. Do you we have do. it on yours? Mm-hmm. Do do. Very low probability, but high economic yeah. costs. I think that's a good one. That's I'm worried about the election. About the election. Yeah. In, in the social unrest in the context of next year's election. Correct. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. But that even feeds into the sentiment indicator, right? So if you look at the
1: UMish, I don't know if you've you've seen the U-Mich, University of Michigan uh, confidence numbers. They actually break it out by political party as well, mm-hmm. and it's a very telling mm, uh, yeah. statistic, right? Right now, Republicans are uh, depressed, you know, depressed, and and uh, Democrats are pretty optimistic. You know, under the Trump administration, exactly the opposite. So mm-hmm. not terribly. I, I have a trouble seeing a lot of objective. <laughs> Um, information coming from that confidence uh, survey. So I think you need That's to take that with a grain of salt, too.
0: Oh, so you're saying the uh, sen- the sentiment in general is maybe not as useful because it's colored by our own political, social, cultural kind of prism. Yeah, some economists have done work on this where they look at,
2: uh, is there political bias in consumer confidence surveys? And they found mm. some evidence of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I have noticed that the Ds versus the Rs versus the, I guess it makes sense to look at the independents and how they're thinking about things. Maybe that's the mm-hmm. and group the, we should be focused on.
2: The line that they drew was that, you know, who's more likely to respond to a survey is who's more optimistic. So, you know, if a Democrat's in office, then Democrats are going to respond. If a Republican, then Republicans are going to respond.
0: Yeah, right. That makes So
2: it was total. interesting.
0: Total yeah. sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. Okay, so Chris, you had another downside risk, though. The, the meta was just a, an appetizer, right? That wasn't your real. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like um, I've got
1: plenty of other ones, but no, my my second one is uh, housing, and we kind of touched on of that. So some type of housing correction.
0: Of course, I'm going to go there. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, okay, so so what? Just explain that. What's what, by the way? I'm writing a op-ed for the Post on housing bubbles. I, I need to send it to you so you can. Oh, uh, okay. Uh,
1: yeah. I'm writing the housing outlook.
0: Uh,
1: oh, then for okay. us, so we should coordinate. <laughs>
0: no, yeah. Let's see what we're saying. Yeah, that'd be good. So, so what's the deal on house prices? What are you What are you saying? What's the What's the baseline, and what's the risk? The deal is that house
1: prices are way up, right? Twenty percent year over year, right? They've been decelerating a little bit over the last few months, but still, we've got very strong house, year over year house price growth, much stronger than the five you percent know, <laughs> average that we have historically. So any time that alone is a cause for concern about overvaluation or bubble right anytime you see prices rising quickly just as we are concerned about inflation uh, it brings up a bubble concerns, so some type of uh, correction concern so uh, in terms of the outlook all right we have moderation right higher interest rates should take out some of the um, from the demand, it's going to increase the cost of borrowing, and that should put take away some of the upward pressure on prices uh, going forward. So, our our baseline has prices coming back down to that five percent, actually a little bit lower than five percent uh, going forward, giving the um, the market time uh, to adjust, allowing incomes to to um, to adjust upward and, and match the house prices. So that's the baseline. The uh the uh downside risk though is psychology again i think if we do start start to see those prices moderating and in some markets you actually see price declines like a like a boise you know, like a idaho uh then you could see uh psychology take over people get spooked and they drive uh, prices down further so that that's what i see as a a, a risk i'm not terribly uh, i don't have a lot of conviction in that risk because i think we do have strong demographic uh, tailwinds still Right. We have a lot of uh, millennials entering those prime home, home buying years, so that's going to provide a, a lot of support but I think in terms of a 2022 risk you can't discount
0: it yeah so i mean on on the list of the down the list of downside risks would uh, a more serious decline in house prices be at the Top of the list, or in the middle of the list, or at the bottom of the list? I mean, did you pick this because this is really at the top of your list, or you picked this because you thought this was, you know, something we should do, we should be focused on, uh, uh, be, because it's an important risk, but not necessarily a, and you know, one of the big macroeconomic threats.
1: Yeah. So in terms of macro, I'd say it's a medium, medium, middle, middle. of road, but it is a uh, significant risk for a lot of households, obviously homeowners, right? This is. Yeah. Really uh, important to them, so um, I think it would, there would be consequences if we actually did, and certainly a, a large correction would have large consequences on the economy. But uh, in terms of so the probability, to, it's I put it in the middle.
0: Just to push back, <coughs> excuse me a little bit. Sorry, yeah. I, I drank some co- some wawa coffee, went down the wrong pipe, so I apologize for that. Um, to push back, so yeah. uh, because you know, obviously. You're going to compare house. What's going on now in the house with house prices with what happened in the previous house price bubble back in the mid 2000s prior to the financial crisis. That you know that was a, obviously a bubble that burst. Prices mm-hmm. very sharply. Right. But one of the there's a couple big differences. One is between now and then. One is that today we have a, a sh- very severe shortage of homes. You know, the affordable housing shortage. Just a physical vacancy rates are at record lows for single family housing. Yep. Back then, we had a surfeit of homes. We had vacancy rates were at record levels. Just way too many homes have been put up. You know, couldn't couldn't figure out how to fill them. Second big difference is today, mortgage underwriting standards are tight. You know, if you get, want to get a loan, and by the way, the loans are plain vanilla, 30-year, 15-year yep. fixed rate, prepayable, you know, right down the fairway kind of mortgage, nothing fancy. You know, income is well-documented, credit score uh appraisal well documented nothing 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 fancy here but back you know in the bubble a decade over a decade ago you had a lot of adjustable rate mortgages you remember the ubiquitous you know 2 year subprime uh, arm loan that uh exploded on people the 228 um, yeah the 228 uh and it, it, of course there's a lot of fraud in terms of the underwriting you know people just lied about yep. their income and appraised values uh so does that m- mitigate the risk? You're not, you're not saying bubble like bubble circa 2006.
1: No, no. So yeah. if we had a correction, I, I don't expect... Well, first of all, I don't expect, and it's in the baseline, a national uh, correction. I do expect to see some markets, right, certainly have small corrections. But yeah, there are a lot of positives, uh, certainly, to continue to support prices. I don't see a, a, that type of radical adjustment to equilibrium that we had uh, last time around there's a lot more there's a lot less leverage in the system as well right that's that's perhaps the, the key point right people don't have to sell um, if in the event of a, um, a decline like they did uh, during the, the housing bubble but you do have affordability issues right so that's that's still going to uh, weigh on uh, demand going forward so uh, I think it's still a risk that's out there. And again, it could feed into psychology that spills over into other markets as well.
0: Yeah, good point. I guess the other thing that is coming to the fore more recently in the last, actually, few months that raises some concern is the increase in share of home sales that are to investors. Uh, So some data from Redfin, 18% of transactions, I believe in the month of September, were to investors as defined by buyers that have a corporate name, you know, an LLC or some other corporate entity that made the purchase. So that's deemed to be an investor. And that's up quite a bit from where it was just a few months ago. I don't know how many of those are flippers, you know, people coming right. in just thinking they're gonna sell at a quick for a quick profit or these are longer term you know, buy to buy to rent kind of, you know, institutional investors. So I'm less worried about that. I'm not sure if we know that, but I guess that's another reason to be a and, and also mortgage debt the growth in mortgage That's debt is, is accelerating pretty rapidly. It's pretty close. To, I think it's close to double digit year over year through October. So according to the Equifax credit file-based data. So I, I guess there are some reasons to feed into your concern.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'm more concerned actually longer term because I think the demographics actually are less favorable right. five,
0: ten years from now. Right. But, right. right. Yeah. That, you mean d- just because uh, – the aging of the population, millennials are already in. Immigration is slower. Just underlying demand is going to be weaker because yeah, of the
1: falling birth rate. Yeah,
0: falling birth rates down the road. The, yeah,
1: the generation after the uh, millennials is small. Yeah, so or smaller. Yeah, so yeah, good point. demand's going to go down.
0: Okay, that's a good one. Hey uh, Ryan, what is your uh, downside risk?
2: So the top's on my list. Yeah, I mean it, yeah. everyone's this is the pandemic, but okay. by extension. Going to yep. supply chains, I mean, this is the biggest downside risk, probably with the most uncertainty, because we have a very difficult time gauging exactly when these are going to start to ease. I think the baseline assumption—correct me if I'm wrong—is by mid-year we start to see some improvement, or they're starting to ease noticeably, and that helps, you know, ring out some of the inflationary pressures. Uh, you know, that leads to this inventory build that's going to add a boatload to GDP growth next year. If we don't get that improvement in supply chains, Inflation is going to be higher, GDP growth is going to be lower, and we're going to see a Fed that's tightening rates you know, more aggressively than we're anticipating.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's some evidence, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, the supply chain problems that became paramount when Delta was hitting its apex, uh, apex back a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, are, are past us, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, so, you know, we are starting to see... Well, factories have reopened in in Southeast Asia, so some of the shortages of chips and other materials, that's abated to some degree. We're seeing shipping rates from China to the US, China to Europe. They're still very high, but they're coming in. The number of ships that are sitting in LA Long Beach port, obviously pretty bad traffic jam, but that traffic jam is not quite as bad as it was a few weeks ago. you know, anecdotally, at least, it feels like we're moving in the right direction, which would be consistent with the idea that it's the pandemic that, you know, in the Delta that's driving a lot of this. Right. I mean, the supplier
2: deliveries index and the ISM manufacturing survey that was released today for November, it improved, it's still elevated, but it's moving tentatively in the right direction.
0: Oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, good. So, but what you're saying is, even with the pandemic kind of playing out the way we think it will kind of receding, it could end up being the case that getting these supply chains back in a more uh, reasonable place is going to be more difficult. So we mm-hmm. still are plagued with shortages of product and high rates of inflation for those products yeah. as a result.
2: Because I agree with you that the economic cost of each wave in the U S from the pandemic will be smaller, but it's the policy response in APAC. That's going to be really, really important. And, you know, if you get another wave in you know, Singapore, Thailand, uh, Australia, these countries have shown evidence that you know they'll tighten restrictions pretty quickly, and that would exacerbate you know these supply chain problems.
0: China, yeah, that's, good, and China's another example. Yeah, good point. Good point. Um, so, so if Omicron nails, and of course, everywhere in the world, they seem everyone seems to have their own way of dealing with the pandemic. In Asia, they tend to shut things down. I mean, China mm-hmm. shuts everything down. There's a no COVID policy even in southeast asia they feel like they're relatively quick to to curtail things shut things down yeah new zealand so and saying, australia were really quick uh, yeah.
2: during the delta variant this time around they seem like they're going to take it a little bit more cautious but you know they're not as lax as we are in the us
0: right so you're saying if, if omicron shows up in in asia china and those countries respond in the way they have been so far during the pandemic yep. which is just very restrictive Shutting down travel, shutting down trade, closing ports, closing factories—that's just going to rescramble everything on the. It
2: just kicks side. the can down the road further. When until we get that improvement in supply chains. <clears throat> yeah, it's a good point. That's a really good point.
0: Uh, you guys are depressing me a little bit. So. Well, I
2: got—I got an upside one.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, because we're going to definitely yeah. come back.
2: We got—we always end on a, on a positive note. Yeah. Okay.
0: All right, those are all all really uh, good, and I think you know it, with the risk matrix that I my risk matrix in my mind's eye, they all kind of are in that northeast part of the matrix, you know, where mm-hmm. probabilities are relatively high and the uh, the expected loss, the loss given that risk, are, are pretty high as well. You know, I'll I'll point out a, another risk, uh, yeah, and that is um, th- that worries me uh, is China. Slows down more than anticipated. Uh, so, in our baseline world view, again relatively optimistic, we're expecting China to growth rates to slow. They already have. So, if you go back, I'm going to pick a date. Five years ago, the underlying growth rate in uh, the Chinese economy, in terms of GDP, was probably seven, eight percent, probably closer to eight uh, percent per annum. I'd say it's now down to about five percent. And we're expecting over the next few years for it to kind of glide a a bit lower to about 4%. So still strong, you know, by our standards, uh, you know, the developed world standards, but uh, significant moderation. Uh, But I'd say the risks there feel like they could come in a lot weaker than that. Uh, I mean... Got a lot of things going on, uh, you know. One, we talked about COVID and their COVID policy. They just shut things down. So if they get hit again, they'll, they'll shut things down, you know, quite dramatically. Um, there uh, is the uh, uh, the fact that they're uh, working to address some of the more structural, longer term problems they have, including very high leverage. They, you know, they've mm-hmm. been borrowing a lot of money, uh, households and in the corporate sector in particular. And debt loads are now high, and I think there's con- reasonable concern you could see that with the collapse of the Chinese real estate company Evergrand. you know they defaulted on all their debt. I think it was some 300 billion dollars. So you know that kind of deleveraging process, or at least that slowing in, the, in leveraging that's slowing growth and then they're focused on uh, increasingly focused on uh, pollution and climate change issues, so they're, they've been willing to shut down utility plants that are you know, coal-fired and produce a lot of CO2 if it's producing a lot of pollution, and that's caused them uh, disruptions in the economy. You know, production has stopped, I mean, you know, factories have had to stop because they can't get electricity. Uh, then you've got President Xi, who seems to go, well, he is going in a, in a direction very different than his predecessors. He, you know, his predecessors worked to liberalize the economy to embrace uh, the rest of the world, the rest of the developed world, the U.S. and Europe, and, you know, engage, and she, uh, and and open up politically. Uh, And that's not what she's doing. He's going in the opposite direction. And I can't imagine that's good for growth. And then probably most fundamentally, the uh, fact that the U.S. and many other developed economies are now confronting China on a lot of their uh, policies that you know, people just don't, and I think appropriately said, they're just not fair. You know, cyber issues and intellectual property issues and ownership rights and and those kinds of things. And so uh, China, which has benefited enormously from the globalization uh, that's occurred since it entered into the World Trade Organization back in 2001, isn't going to benefit nearly as much. In fact, it, you know, it could be a headwind because we're going we're going the other direction on globalization on trade on on uh investment on capital flows. Uh I can go on. I can, actually we had a podcast on this. I highly recommend, you know, we talked to a fellow named Dan Rosen who's head of Rhodium Group, who, you know, is a China bear, but he did a pretty good job of making a case here. So I think there's, you know, real good arguments that growth is going to slow, but it could slow much more than we're anticipating, particularly if tensions between the US and China which seem to be uh you know quite significant around a lot of different issues from Taiwan to the you, you know the South China Sea to you know lots of different points of of tension could boil over i think this could be a problem and of course china is a key source of global growth is the second largest economy on the planet the re- relationship between the us and china on trade and is is fundamentally the most important relationship on the pl- economic relationship on the planet and if that gets disrupted you know we could That could really slow growth and reverberate in many different ways across the globe, commodity markets, emerging markets, and ultimately back on us. So I I see that as a significant risk. What do you guys think? Did I I nail that? Yeah, I think
2: so. Yeah. I mean, are you are you arguing that there's a increased risk that China suffers a growth recession next year? And a growth recession is like when the economy is not growing quickly enough to prevent unemployment from going up and inflation from decelerating.
0: Yeah, I think that's yeah. you know growth could slow to such a degree that you know the you see layoffs, you know people lose mm-hmm. jobs, and yeah, then, I, then I guess you can throw into the mix if that's the case. What kind of social implications does that have? Because I don't think the Chinese population, I think they've they've not experienced that for a couple of generations now. It's yeah. all been one direction, and you know what does that mean? You know if things go in the other direction, but for a, a economic perspective, but from a political and social perspective, you know, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think there's a reasonable probability of that. I I, I think I worry about that. And of course then, <laughs> then, you know, keep, you can keep connecting, keep creating the, the storyline. I mean, if the economy starts to weaken, what does that mean with regard to how she approaches the rest of the world? Does that mean, exactly. you know, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's going to blame somebody, you know, so it stands to reason, you know, <laughs> So, all right now, I'm getting really depressed. Yeah, <laughs> really depressed. Uh, yeah. Any anything else on the on the China? Did I miss anything? Any other reasons? Uh, any any pushback oh. there?
1: Uh, no, no pushback. Would really I would say on top pushback. of that, they also have even poorer demographics than we thought. Yeah. Right. We, mm. we see that the fertility mm-hmm. rate was even lower than what we projected. They're likely in decline already in terms of population. So, or right, soon will be. That.
0: Where where did you see that?
1: That came out within the last week at the, oh, really? the estimates. No, they're all estimates, right? But, but I think the original estimate-
0: for, Where they uh, from? Do you know? Oh, I don't UN know. UN or are these UN estimates? No, I think on? they're- um, Chinese estimates?
1: I, th- I believe so.
0: Oh, okay. I missed that. I didn't see that. That's interesting. Okay.
1: So assuming that's correct, it, you know, that makes it even worse. And, and yeah. I, again, I, Ryan's going to tease me, but I worry about the property markets in China. <laughs> As a consequence, right? So, household. if I think households. How do I you, are,
2: you
1: on that? <laughs> oh, because oh, <laughs> you're to. bring up housing. housing. <laughs> okay. No, yeah. If it's not domestic housing, yeah. It's international. it's international So, if the households start to see their property values actually fall, I think that that will create great uh, social unrest. So, that.
0: No okay, I've had enough. This is enough. all right. This is too much. Let's turn positive. This is now <laughs> Christmas <laughs> week, going into twenty twenty two. We're gonna each of us come up with an upside risk to the uh, to the outlook, and we can broaden it a little bit. It doesn't have to be exactly twenty twenty two, but you know, let's you know, we can broaden it out a little bit, but. What are the reasons to be optimistic? That maybe things turn out better than we're we're saying. So, S- and, and let's put the pandemic aside. You know, the pandemic mm-hmm. has its own dynamic. We, you know, who knows? It, it, maybe it yeah. could end up being less. Omicron could be a nothing burger. You know, and we're fine. And there's there are no more waves. I know you're. I know you're smiling. Are you smiling because I used the nothing burger? Yeah, I didn't ever thought Mark Zandi would use the nothing burger. <laughs> right. I couldn't think of a better better way of describing it. But uh, but let's put that aside. So that yeah. you can't have that as your upside risk. That that's not fair. Okay. Given that, I'm going to go with you, Ryan. First, uh, give you the first shot at this. What's your upside risk?
2: All right. So, since it's the week leading up to Christmas, it's the consumer. The U.S. consumer, like you mentioned, household balance sheets are in pristine shape. The job market is going to be booming next year. And throw on top of that, as of October, $2.6 trillion in excess savings. So if they treat that more like extra cash just floating around in their pocket, in their uh, couch cushions, that's a lot of economic juice that could come out over the course of you know a year or two.
0: That's a good one, right, Chris? I mean, I think Absolutely. that's reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Gee whiz, I mean, that's trillion. Don't like bet against
2: them. Exactly, never bet against the consumer.
0: I always say don't, don't underestimate the hedonism of the American consumer. Does that sound right? I think it does. Yeah, at least that's, that's definitely my household. Yeah. So I have a, a quick question for you. Uh,
2: Mark, Paul one time saw me uh, quote in a newspaper saying, the American consumer, and he said it's she. Is that, is that correct? You describe the American consumer as she.
0: As opposed to he? Yeah. Oh, God. We're getting in, in a place I oh, have. Oh, boy. No. I, I'm, I'm treading on very thin ice here. I don't I'll know. never
2: forget this. You walked by my, my cube.
0: Paul, Paul, the- Paul if so anyone knows, was uh, help, uh, Paul, I, and my brother founded economy.com that we sold to Moody's Analytics. So, and Paul has since retired. Mm-hmm. So, but he, he's a, he was an excellent economist in his own right. And so he and he had very strong views on things like mm-hmm. this. Yeah. It, <laughs> very and strong. He, and you said the American consumer he, he and he yep. was saying no, it's she.
2: She. And he put the paper where I was quoted and he's like, "Nice quote, but next time use she." <laughs>
0: really?
2: And then he just walked away. I mean, yeah. Paul was he was great. I mean, he, he yeah. is fantastic to talk to, but he's intimidating. And I just remember I was like, "Oh, another thing happened." While I was
1: with him.
0: were around somewhere. Yeah, Paul would bring his dogs to work, and he had, at one point there were three Rottweilers, yeah. I believe. Yeah, that now talk about intimidating. there's are three dogs on the planet, but if you didn't know them, that wasn't necessarily the case. Well, when, yeah. And I know we're going to go off
2: topic, but when I interviewed with them, there was yeah. three of them, and they were all surrounding me. Like one was in my lap, like his head was like in my lap. I'm trying to talk to Paul, who you know is a very, very smart economist, and I'm distracted by yeah. these three Rottweilers.
0: They're I had the same
1: experience. Hands. You did, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you and passed. then uh, an ambulance passed by, and they started howling. Oh. It was a, uh, it was a mess.
0: <laughs> but <laughs> you passed. I got, you passed. I'm hired. So. Okay. Well, that's a good. one. I like that. That's a good one. The American consumer could turn out to be more of a source of growth, a uh, you know, power things along here. Mm-hmm. Two point six trillion. That's ten percent of G- more. That's it's higher. More. That's twelve percent of GDP. That's a lot of cash. That's a lot yep. of cash. Yeah. And there's a fair amount of pent up demand, not for, you know, uh, heater, uh, outdoor heaters or uh, uh, I, I want to say not blow dryers. Well, I keep, how come I can't? Power washers. Power, washers. power washers. I can't washer. remember. <laughs> yeah, but not for power washers. In fact, I got a, one for sale if anybody's interested. Uh, I mean,
2: Is that buyer's remorse um, that you have two power washers and well, countless I do, heaters and your got, deck? I
0: was shamed by you. In one of these podcasts, you said, so I think... You or Chris asked, Why Chris. would you have two power washers? And you said for one to wash the other. <laughs> that's, I thought, oh, you know, he's got a point. That's, you know, what, what the hell do I have two power washers for? <laughs> that's funny. All right, Chris, you're up. What's your, what's your, up, uh, what's your positive risk? Well, I'll go with the uh, American entrepreneur then. Ah, All right. Small, small business,
1: one. strong, lots of applications out there to start new businesses. That's a lot of innovation, productivity gains potentially. So, I think that's a source of strength. That we could see some uh, growth to the upside, stronger growth, if folks really do execute on these plans, and we get a lot more innovation, a lot more companies getting started, and that leads to more hiring, lots of good things, right?
0: Yeah, it, it yeah. Do you think because you're looking at the taxpayer identification numbers, the applications yeah. by? by people who are starting businesses for EIN, so-called EIN numbers. Uh, you need that because you get to pay taxes if you start a company. And they're through, through the roof, right? I mean, they, this year they've been skywarded. Yeah. And, and that's real, right? I mean, if you look across industry, across region, it's up everywhere, across everything. A lot of business are forming,
1: right? Yeah, there are mm-hmm. some regions certainly are yeah. growing fast, like South. Yeah. the South has more applications. Yeah. Retail actually has a startling number of uh, applications as well. So there are some pockets, but I think it is fairly broad based. No, no industry, no region is lagging. So.
0: Or, do you think it's also remote yeah. work? I mean, the fact that people can they they feel untethered now, right? They don't. You don't need an office building, you know, with employees sitting at their desks. You can you can just you can do it, you know, just with Zoom, you know, basically, and an idea. Mm-hmm. A little bit of capital. You think that's also playing a role in here in all these business formations?
1: Yeah, I think it's all of the above. Yeah, I think it's the, the, the technology, the fact that people do have a little bit more cash, perhaps on their balance sheet. I think the pandemic gives you time to think, <laughs> uh, reflect. You know, when I want to start a business and I'll give it a shot. A strong labor market too, right? If the business doesn't work out, I can always find a job, right? So, I think there's uh, the risks are favorable to. Yeah to starting a business, trying it out, seeing what happens.
0: Oh. You know, and now I'm feeling really good. I'm feeling a lot better. Now. Right, so what's yours? Right. Well, yeah. You know, now I, I've got a bunch, actually. Uh, you know, there's the potential for stronger productivity growth. You know, that is yep. like kind of a corollary with the business formation, but it goes beyond, well beyond that, right? Because yep. Yep. business investment's up very strongly, and that's going to improving productivity, addressing supply chains, uh, I'm optimistic about policy maybe, you know, people would disagree with me, but I, I give a lot of credit to the Federal Reserve and the, and lawmakers both under the, you know, Trump administration and under the Biden administration for uh, coming up with the sources uh, with support, they, you know, no hesitation really. Now, I, I would you know, have debate over uh, some of the ways they use the money, I you know, I, but I think that's, everybody would broadly speaking, you got to give them a lot of credit for what they've done. And that augurs well, you know, going forward, that policymakers are going to step up. If they need to step up, they're going to step up and they're going to figure out how to, you know, thread the needle, you know, uh, for this economy and get it through and navigate around the waves of pandemic and the impacts that's going to have. But I'd say, and I'm going to end, because you ended on, it. you started with a meta negative, uh, meta downside. I'm going to end with a meta positive upside risk. And that is, You know, our economy is goddamn amazing. You know, it adjusts to anything that you throw at it because, you know, people are, you you let them have at it. We let them have at it. You can make money. You you can uh, innovate and benefit from that innovation. We respond to the marketplace and signals that we get from pricing. You know, if the price of lumber goes up, we buy less lumber. We do something else. We wait a little bit, buy something else. We adjust uh, and we're adjusting, you know, think about this, what we're doing now with this zoom technology. I mean, it's just amazing how quickly we adapted and adjusted to, you know, the pandemic. And and, and I think it's going to reap enormous benefit in the long run. We're only on version one of, you know, the zoom technology and what it means, Uh, you know, the future, uh, uh, future, uh, 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 rounds of innovation are going to be, you know, I think, uh, imi- just, just take us to a whole nother level. So I then I, met a positive, just, you know, confidence in ourselves that, you know, we, we we overcome. We really do. We we got a problem. We, you know, we figure it out uh, because we have the incentive to do that. And we have the uh, smart people that are willing and able to do it and they have the freedom to do it. Think about things, debate things, hit each other over the head, proverbial, proverbially speaking, but ultimately coming up with a you know a pretty good answer at the end of the day. So even in the legislative process, I feel the same way. I mean, we hit each other, hit each other, bam, 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 bam. Think about every possible way of doing something. Look at it from every single angle, and then it, when it's all said and done, we kind of come to something, and it's it's pretty good, you know. We it's a pretty good product. So I I actually. I have, I feel pretty good about things. I think we're in a pretty good spot. I'm a buyer. You, you, you guys sell, I'm buying. That's all I'm saying. That's how I'm in this, this podcast. Any, uh, you convinced any, me. You I convinced convince me. you. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Resilience.
0: Ryan, how you feeling?
2: You convinced me. Now it's going to be a good holiday.
0: It's a good holiday. Damn right yep. it is. Okay. All right. Well, very good. I think we covered a lot of ground here. This is the holiday week, so we don't want to keep it too long, but hopefully you found this instructive and, um, we'll talk to you in the new year. Take care now. Bye everyone.